This podcast may contain mild language and mild adult humor. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the GetCast, podcasting on all of your favorite games and tech. Uh, this is episode four, recorded on April 23rd of 2022. My name is Scott of Sir Viper Gaming, and with me, as always, is Roger of Ranger Commander. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to anybody who is listening. Hope your weekend is going quite well. I actually didn't mess up your name this week. Did you notice that? You're getting I'm better. Getting better. I'm becoming sentient. No, nothing. Okay. <laughs> anyway. I'm like, you're not, you're not sentient? No. You didn't realize that I was programmed for purely for the enjoyment of others? He's like, oh god, I'm an NPC. <laughs> I'm an NPC in an MMO. Oh god! No! Wait, can I be attacked or no? That makes a difference. No? Okay. As long as it's not like a free guy situation. Oh, yeah. It was a good movie. I saw it on an airplane, believe it or not. I am yet to see it. It's good. I actually would recommend it. I, I would. It's it's pretty good. I mean, then again, like, Ryan Reynolds is gold. So I think no matter where you put him, he's usually pretty good. I mean, obviously, there's some exceptions to the rule, right? But, like, that movie was actually a lot better than I expected it to be. Anyway, we are deviating horribly from the show. Uh, I just wanted to make a quick, uh, quick little apology. You're probably probably noticing that I sound just a little bit better this week than I did last week. Uh, Daddy experimented and failed horribly. All right. Uh, I did put a disclaimer at the beginning of the show to kind of warn folks, um, because as I was editing the show, I almost got to the point where I was like, I don't even want to upload this thing. This is bad. But nonetheless, uh, we, we did put it out there into the ether, so we, we can li- label that Scott's failure uh, of an episode where uh, the entire time he sounded like a robot, you know, just a robot. I, uh, I made sure to turn off NVIDIA broadcast, uh, which I don't I don't necessarily think was exclusively the problem. I, I feel like there had to be something else that created that issue. Maybe there was some clipping in my mic and it was trying to filter that. I don't know. But either way, I'd have that off. I did some tests before the show like a good boy. And I should sound okay. I sound okay, right, Roger? Oh, yeah. No, you sound great. Thank you. <laughs> Fishing compliment achieved. So we got some quick hits. We. I was a little surprised to have to put this in the quick hit section, but there really wasn't a whole lot to talk about. The World of Warcraft next expansion was revealed, it's revealed to be Dragonflight, which is based off of the Dragon Isles and ultimately Dragon Lore. I know, mind blown, right? The 2023 expected release date for the expansion, uh, there's a new race and class that are ultimately tied together, it's the Drakthir Evokers. Drakthir have to be Evokers, and Evokers have to be Drakthir. There's, they, they can't be any other class. And uh, you can't be any other race with evokers, so it's it's sort of a it's a package deal. You, you got to take the whole package. 
And then, of course, uh, Wrath of the Lich King Classic was announced. That'll happen sometime later on this year. Just real quick, I want to throw it out into the ether. Uh, I do, as as I said before, I run a World of Warcraft guild, and the, the response to this was very mixed. Uh, there was a lot of folks that were excited to sort of check out the new zones and, and quest in there and get a little bit more lore. But the, the Drakthir announcement kind of had some uh, mixed reactions, mainly because of the fact that there was folks that wanted to do other classes with the Drakthir. And when it was said that they they have to be evokers, they sort of lost interest entirely. And then there's the other half that were like pure gamers going, let's go. And then now I think I'm going to have like 20 Drakthir evokers showing up in raids and I'm going to have to sit 19 of them out because you have to have class diversity in raids. So... It was a very mixed response. Roger, I know you got a chance to watch the the reveal. What were your thoughts? So at first, I was actually kind of under the impression that the new race would be those stone guardians. When it, you know, after after like you reminded me about the the Drakthirs, like, oh yeah, that's right, they have those instead. I'm a World of Warcraft noob. I know next to next to nothing about it. Tana is more of the lore keeper for something like that uh oh yeah i mean the trailer itself you know it's blizzard quality you know um for as much of a compliment as you could give blizzard these days you know the the atmosphere was there the music was there and my impression from it was that it would bring potentially new new life into the game personally i can't remember the last expansion that world of warcraft had and i know that there was there's a hefty population within the community that's been wanting new content, uh, specifically an actual expansion. But the the new race and class being tied together that's a kind of an odd decision to make. That's like no, this race and this class are only together. Deal with it. Uh, even though I'm pretty sure that's not their intended uh, <laughs> delivery. No, but no. <laughs> uh, not at all. I don't know. I I could I could only assume that for those guild members of yours that uh, heard that they're like really. I'm pretty sure that was like the general consensus for that side of the impressions of what what was shown. I understand what they're trying to do with the Drakthir Evokers. I mean, it's essentially supposed to be a hero class. Which, uh, the last time that we had a hero class was, uh, 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 Demon Hunters, Mm -hmm. which was effectively, like, these fell-touched, uh, elves that had wings, but they were, you know, they were blind, technically, but they used demon senses to see, almost like Daredevil, in a way. But, like, they, they were only able to be, uh, one race, per faction. Like, you, you either had to be a Night Elf if you were the Alliance, or you had to be a Blood Elf if you were the Horde. Um, so it's not totally new for the game, but I think a lot of people were really looking at the the race and hoping it would be more like the Pandaren, which from Mists of Pandaria, which is a uh, sort of a neutral hero hero race that could be either Horde or Alliance, and they could be multiple types of, of classes. <laughs> so people saw that the Drakthir, they were kind of hoping it would be more like the Pandaren, and it's it's not it's it's tied to a specific class so i don't think it's a bad idea i mean i get it i really do especially when you look at how the evokers work i have a hard time seeing how they're going to make that mechanically work for other races so i get it but i do think that maybe they need to reconsider drakthir 
as a as a race and make sure that they can make it available to other other classes because I think that it's it's really going to make it a lot better for the community and more for diversity because again as a raid leader I'm I'm going to be put in a situation where I'm going to have 20 people that just bought the expansion and they're all going to want to play these these Dracthir evokers because I mean it's essentially the content that they just paid for right I mean this is something that they just got and they want to tool around with it they want to play with it. I can't put 20 evokers into my my raids. I could probably put two. There's, there's supposed to be a DPS spec and a, and a healing spec. That's great. I could probably put two of them in there. One for DPS, one for healing. But I can't put all 20 of them in there. You know? So, as a raid leader, it puts me in a bad spot. Because now I have to basically tell 18 other people, I'm sorry, you're sitting. Or play something else. It is what it is. I am excited, though. I mean, new content is always great. As you mentioned, Blizzard has a, a certain look and feel to all of their reveals. Uh, their their cinematics are incredible. And they're they're really good at storytelling. I, you know, I, especially with World of Warcraft, when you think of how long this game has lasted, their storytelling is top-notch. Uh, and then Wrath of the Lich King was one of my favorite expansions, so going into Wrath of the Lich King Classics, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'll probably end up being in... Uh, Wrath of the Lich King Classic more than retail, purely because of the game, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> PlayStation Plus Premium has finally gotten a release date in the Asian markets, excluding Japan. The targeting date is May 23rd of 2022. That's next month, so that's really close. In Japan, they're targeting June 1st. In the Americas, they're targeting June 13th. And in Europe, June 22nd. They still haven't really announced what games they're going to put on their uh, PlayStation Plus Premium services, but uh, I, I hope it's going to be good. Ideally, yes. And in the, what was that, May 23rd? So as of today's recording, that's quite literally just one month away. So I'm I'm thinking they'll probably release something either like the, the one week or two weeks before this drops in Asian markets. And then, you know, we're going to end up getting the news in the near future. So, Sony, more details we get, the better. So, you know, that way we know exactly what we're, what, rather, what else we're going to be getting with this new revamped PlayStation Plus. Yep. All right, and then last of the quick hits, we have a Streets of Rage movie is coming from the creator of John Wick. Oh, my. Oh, on, on the GatCast channel, there actually is a video of me and Roger playing Streets of Rage still. That was from years ago, though. <laughs> that was quite some time ago. It was. But, you know, obviously, you know, we're, we're big fans of the series. I, I love the series. I think, it, you know, it's incredible. And... You know, if it's coming from the creator of John Wick, uh, which is Derek Colston, I'm excited. I'm absolutely excited. I, I think it's going to be fantastic. Uh, they don't have a release date, from what I understand. They don't have anything. This is very early, but I'm looking forward to it. See, and here's the thing, too, with what this article mentions, is that Derek reportedly wrote the script on spec while the production company behind Sonic the Hedgehog films uh, will produce the adaptation. So he, so he wrote the whole thing, and I... I'm quite interested to see where this goes because, I mean, he didn't initially have a studio behind him when he was doing this. Yeah. And, yeah, so what was this say? Uh, Escape Artist, the studio, was, uh, the studio rather, behind the Equalizer franchise is also on board to produce the film. I don't know. Between John Wick creator and the people behind the Equalizer, I'm thinking they're going to go full action. This is going to be a lot of 
insanity. Hopefully a lot of well-choreographed fights as well. Yeah, definitely. So the thing that I want in this movie is if they can get Yuzo Koshiro to do the soundtrack. I, I almost feel like it has mm-hmm. to be a necessity because, I mean, when you when you remember those classic games, like the soundtrack was the thing that stood out, at least for me, uh, because it really set the tone. I mean, the whole feel of it, it was great. And like, if they can adapt that into the movie, holy cow, that's going to be amazing. I think so. I mean, us just talking about this, I got a couple of the tracks spinning around in my head. You know, th- they have like the guys that are behind a quite a lot of uh, established franchises already and successful projects as well. I'm looking forward to seeing exactly how this might turn out. All right. Well, let's go ahead and head on over to our main topics. The first topic that we have to talk about is sort of a continuation of the main topic that we talked about uh, in a previous episode. Uh, Sony reportedly is considering in-game ads for their free-to-play titles as well. Fresh off of the uncomfortable news that Microsoft is considering selling advertising in free-to-play Xbox titles, a new report from Business Insider suggests that PlayStation magnet Sony might be exploring the same avenues with in-game ads. The ideas allegedly pitched by Sony include advertising the menus and loading screens of games, integrating adverts into video game worlds such as billboards and signposts, and even rewarding players who sit through the commercials with exclusive in-game rewards. While the Business Insider report claims that Sony is against the collecting of identity details, such as names and emails, for sale, it may use players' purchase behavior to help developers influence its ad-making decisions. So this gives a little bit more detail as far as what the idea is, uh, whereas uh, Xbox sort of threw, this is what we have in mind. Whereas Sony is like, no, this is all we have in mind. <laughs> but it, it tackles a lot of what we previously talked about. In-game ads being uh, during the loading screens, in the menus, uh, billboards, signposts. Uh, I have a feeling we're going to start seeing this, whether we like it or not. Yeah, as soon as you shared that with me, I was like, ah, well, it was only a matter of time. And even then, like some people who were commenting on this story about Microsoft exploring this avenue of revenue... Did not mean for that to rhyme. Uh, You're a poet and didn't know it. <laughs> quite there, there was a there were a few uh, comments in there going, "Oh, just watch! Other companies are going to hop right onto the bandwagon." And yep, sure enough, like a week later, boom, right there. I think I, I think uh, for quite a lot of people, and in this case, uh, for us to an extent as well, if they keep this in the free to play market and they don't end up doing this in their core games where it could get um, obstructive or intrusive in some way then it's like you know what that's their business deal if it gets to the point where you know people just do not end up liking this whatsoever and it's getting such a huge negative backlash um, I would see that uh, companies would potentially backpedal from this decision because in the article here it even uh, mentions that uh, that there are a couple points of contention in regards to free-to-play getting uh, getting these in-game ads. Uh, the first being that a lot of these titles are already making uh, a lot of money in regards to revenues, primarily through other advertisements that are going on that you necessarily can't skip without having to pay for the ability to skip that, as well as other uh, microtransactions that go on. 
And uh, the author even mentions like the second point potentially being that should the in-game advertising prove successful, uh, there is a slew of publishers out there that uh, would potentially uh, stealthily increase its presence in uh, fully paid releases. So um, that always is a thing to be cautious about, but in this case, hopefully it remains in the free-to-play zone, because we certainly do not have to see ads for monster energy drink or the new you know hot summer movies appearing in like say a post-apocalyptic game or uh or a uh you know a futuristic fighting game or what have you there you know so the fear the fear is still there for like main titles getting that stuff but i don't know this is definitely happening whether a lot of us like it or not so yeah the this article comes from destructoid and yeah. you can tell that the writer is very much so against this. That's why I, I mm-hmm. kind of leaned away from uh, taking certain things out of context with the article because I don't want it to reflect what is our opinions of what's going on here. Right. I don't necessarily agree uh, with a lot of what was said in the article. One of the main points is, is, yes, they are making a lot of money. But I think people don't remember or understand that, especially like something like Fortnite, for example. Yeah, Fortnite is making buco bucks, just tons of money. But it also costs a lot of money, you know, to keep developers working on new content for the game. Those costs don't evaporate. Uh, servers for people to play on especially when you have games that are being played by millions and millions of players you have to have a server farm that can take all of that data Uh, and that stuff's not cheap that's power costs that's housing costs there's there's a lot of costs that go into games as a service or or free-to-play games that are multi uh multiplayer or massively multiplayer online games that there's costs to that and there's a reason why, like, MMOs, for example, have to have a subscription fee. It's not because they want to just keep nickeling and diming you. It's because there's a cost to running these games. So it's natural for free-to-play games or, or even retail games, if there's uh, as a service, uh, to look at more additional ways to make money to pay costs and ultimately make a profit. Because as a business... No matter what business you're in, your goal is to make a profit. I know gamers, you know, they, they don't want to be intruded on when they're, they're immersive experiences. And I get that. I totally understand. But at the end of the day, if you really like the people that are making the games that you play, you don't watch an ad. <laughs> just, just take care of the businesses that are taking care of you. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there, there's obvious exceptions to that. There's obvious companies that are, you know, like, and I hate to say it because it's it's true, but I hate to say it. EA is one of those companies that I can think of. They're just trying to make a profit. That At the end of the day, they're going to do whatever it takes to make that profit, whether it pisses you off or not. So it sucks, but there are some really good EA games, too, that is worth playing. So it's a tricky area to navigate. Obviously, with Sony and Microsoft looking for ways to assist developers in making that additional profit, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. The one thing I noticed that Sony didn't necessarily announce a release date for this, from what I can tell. So it'll be interesting to see how how it works. Uh, yeah, going over it, I don't see I don't see any dates. Yeah, I don't see any dates mentioned here. So I think this is more of like just like an early kind of like an early report 
that this is in the works. I I totally get where you're coming from in that you know there especially between MMOs and games that are sent out there that it's like these are free to play you know they got to be able to maintain the servers and the data that is coming through when you have hundreds of thousands to potentially millions of players logging in every day on the weekly playing your game that's a lot to have to cover you know but playing devil's advocate here uh you know i just got to i just got to say that at least in terms of like looking at free to play games versus mmos I could totally understand it a lot more for MMOs versus free-to-play games. But with free-to-play games, they have multiple microtransactions. They have all, they have ads being run already through that. And to me, it's just when you have the free-to-play market that is already making a lot of money as it is, and you have Microsoft and Sony coming in and saying, hey, we want to help promote you guys even more and help you monetize more, we, you know, we want to make these connections for you and make these, you know, make more in-game ads. And that includes, like, developers that are going to be teaming either exclusively or multi-platform with these two companies. So, again, just playing devil's advocate here, I could totally, I could totally understand the business aspect. But at the same time, I know what the frustration is with people when they don't want to see, like, the games being completely, you know, bombarded with modern-day ads. You know, and then they end up seeing something for uh, what's what was that gambling one that I saw recently? Uh, the sports one, DraftKings. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. I don't know why I do that off the top, but <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't know. It's just when you said sports and gambling, my mind went DraftKings. That, that's that's right. That that sounds about right. It means advertising's working. <laughs> that oh, and you know what? Also, FanDuel. That's the other one. That's what I've been seeing a lot recently. I think I it's think because the uh, seasons are. I think it's because the seasons are coming back. That's why they're ramping up their their ad reach. So there's a few things that I, I sense, and I, I know what you're saying, but they're, they're assumptions, at least from my perspective. Uh, the first assumption is, is that all free-to-play games are making hand over fist with microtransactions. I don't think that's entirely true. I think there are very popular games like Fortnite, Apex Legends, stuff like that, that do make quite a bit of money on microtransactions because they have the developers that sits there and they craft those items and all that to, to design it around that stuff, right? But again, those are developers that are sitting there and they're making the stuff for you to buy. Like there's, and that costs, that's money. So it, it's not necessarily going into the positive because you're still paying for these people to make this stuff. And not all games make that profit. I mean, there's, there's smaller free-to-play games that, Kind of sit there with their hands raised up like, hey, you could play B2, <laughs> you know, and they would probably benefit more from having some sort of way to get. I don't want to say an automatic way for money because that's not necessarily true, but they would benefit yeah, no. from having a source of income that maybe doesn't necessarily require them to have microtransactions in order for them to, to profit. Right. So it, I don't see this necessarily as. As, as something that's going to be used primarily by like larger developers, I see this primarily as something that could be used for some of the smaller developers that are putting free-to-play games out there that aren't making hand over fist with microtransactions. And the other thing is, is that I know that the, the concern is, is that it's going to bleed into retail games. 
But again, it, when you have a games as a service, you know, again, like look at Halo, for example. We literally just talked about how there are folks that are really upset that there's not new content. Well, that's because there's developers. They have to make that new content. That stuff just isn't hatched out of an egg. You got to pay people to make that stuff. Really, once you buy the game of Halo, yeah, they have their, their season pass, but that's pretty much it. After that, what are they paying these developers with? They still have server costs for the multiplayer games. They still need to pay developers to develop this new content that everybody wants. That money's got to come from somewhere. And again, I get it. Like, I also am completely of the mindset that these ads should not be intrusive. They shouldn't be... They shouldn't prevent you from playing the game, especially if it's in a retail game that you paid 60 bucks for. Like, it need Like, loading screens, fine. If you're going to load the game anyway... You want to put a little play-by-picture-in-picture uh, picture, uh, thing in the, in the top right that says, go to Pizza Hut now and get some gamer fuel. Whatever, that's fine. I don't really care about that. But as long as that ad disappears when my game is done loading, I'm a, I'm a happy camper. If that ad is still playing by the time that I'm moving around looking for people to shoot, we got problems. So, I'd also... <laughs> you can't say you're playing devil's advocate if you're on the side of the gamer. I, I think I'm being more devil's advocate than anyone else. Well, I mean, yeah, I have my own opinions here, but the thing is, is that I already, you know, I, I've listened to what you mentioned in terms of like, the, you know, the costs and the potentiality for what it is that, or rather why it is that they want to make these additions into the game to be able to, you know, both maintain their operations and continue to grow their games, whether it is free to play off the bat or game a, a game as a service. But, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't help, like, if I already have, you know, my own reservations about, uh, about this. No, no, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with your opinion. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all. Like, that, you haven't said anything that I would consider, like, atrocious or anything like that. Like, I, I get your opinions. You obviously understand where I'm coming from. That's perfectly fine. The only thing that I, I was mentioning is that when you say you're playing devil's advocate, but you're not. You're you're actually still on the side of the gamer. Now, saying that you're playing devil's advocate would be like what I was saying, where you understand that these companies need to make a profit. And yeah, it it, it sucks that we have to have in-game ads for free-to-play games, but companies need to make a profit in order to continue developing or take that money and go into developing other new games. That's the devil's advocate opinion. Okay, and we'll, we'll just say that I used a poor a poor usage of the term <laughs> to describe what it is that I'm trying to get across. You're all good, brother. I'm just I'm just being a dick. <laughs> At any rate, I again I, I I do feel I feel much the same that I would not want to see the ads become intrusive in the game. It, with free to play games, though, I feel like it's kind of surprising we haven't already seen this. And there's been product placements in games before. I mean, God, I can remember with World of Warcraft, we had a we had a grenade that can give everybody night elf mohawks back when like Mr. T did that commercial. You want to talk about immersion breaking? Mr. T in Azeroth doesn't exactly like translate, but you know, it, people got over it. They people had fun with it, and life went on. You know, it, it just it's. It's a thing, and I, I feel like it's an unavoidable thing in this situation, and I, again, I, I say the same thing that I said last week. If they start putting this in retail games, and you're upset with this, and you don't like seeing it, 
vote with your wallets. Don't buy the game or get the game refunded if you've already bought it. And don't support the developers that are going to ruin your experience with a litany of ads. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, I, t- I, t- I absolutely agree. Uh, again, just so long as it doesn't get to the point where it's intrusive. You know, I, I definitely agree with that. All right. Topic number two. Topic number two. Uh, speaking of topic number two, It Takes Two. Uh, it Takes Two adaptation is in the works at Amazon Prime. Uh, the popular game It Takes Two is being adapted for film by Amazon Prime Video, and Dwayne Johnson is involved, because of course he is. Uh, it was revealed that his production company, Seven Bucks Productions, has joined DJ2 Entertainment to produce the film for str- for the streaming service. The project was set up for priority development, which means that the crew will be getting to work soon at bringing the project to life. The film adaptation of It Takes Two will follow the story of the two protagonists, May and Cody, who approach the idea of a divorce amidst marital troubles. In the game, their daughter Rose plays the two dolls that she makes to represent her parents. Uh, Somehow their souls get trapped inside these dolls, and they have to go through multiple adventures and solve many puzzles together in order to return to their human forms. It seems like the film will most likely be sticking to the original plot, with the script being written by Pat Casey and Josh Miller, the duo responsible for bringing the Sonic the Hedgehog movies to life. All right, have you ever played It Takes Two? I have not, because I do not have someone to play with. Oh, sad gamer. That's a sad gamer (laughs) statement right there. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Although I have seen people, I have seen people play it, and it does look like a remarkable game. And it won Game of the Year last year, which that's no small feat. No. uh, Depending on whether or not you hold the Game Awards, (laughs) the, the Game Awards seriously or not. Just getting like Game of the Year from Game Awards or whatever outlets there are out there. I mean, again, that's that's quite a major thing. And when you mentioned Dwayne Johnson, initially when I first read that, I would my mind did go to The Rock. Mm-hmm. And when they when they mentioned specifically that it was like Dwayne and they have like, you know, the the middle middle initial in there, Johnson, I'm like, oh, so it's not him. No, uh, just in case, I just looked it up again just to take a look. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, it's him. It's, it's Dwayne it's, Johnson. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's Dwayne Johnson. And I'm like, really? Okay. All right. But yeah, I mean, it already is a solid game, and it is interesting to see that they want to make this a, uh, bring this modern fantasy to quite literally life. So we'll see how, we'll see how it goes with Amazon Prime and the collective that has just gathered around this new adaptation of the game. Yeah, so I saw my, my sister and her boyfriend play it, and they had a great time with it. And there's also a really good Game Grumps playthrough of it, which I would I would recommend because, of course, it's the Game Grumps and they're funny. I think the game is fantastic. Obviously, it's I much much like you, Roger. I didn't have somebody to play with. So <laughs> Tana wouldn't play the game with me, even though I asked her to. The game's fantastic. I, I definitely would recommend it. There's a reason why it won Game of the Year. I will say that uh, while I was watching the game being played, it, it looks like a Pixar movie. I mean, it just the way the storytelling is handled, the way that the animation is done, it it feels like a Pixar movie that's playable. So I absolutely could see this very easily being transitioned into a feature film. My only concern is is I I want to make sure that they actually do stick relatively close to the original plot, because if they Hollywood this thing, 
and and tweak it too much, I think they're going to lose a lot of the core audience that would watch this. Yeah, and also because every stage that you played on was essential in recalling the relationship between uh, the two main characters. Yeah. Everything from their aspirations for the home, their aspirations for themselves, and their aspirations for the family. You know, you go from how there was something as simple as you didn't remove a wasp nest and now this has caused this battle that's been going on in our own backyard for who knows how long. Yeah. <laughs> to um what was it? What was it? What were their dreams? It was uh one for a garden and then it just became overgrown by some sort of invasive species and then another dream was to be a singer and to really be able to just uh share that love for singing that that she had but she never really pursued it i could totally see how they might botch that because they would probably dumb it down and really take the uh the process and the development of the two characters realizations of wow we really could have done a lot more here or maybe we should have gone with different choice rather than how we approach this because you gradually see that as you battle and platform your way through each level that the game presents yeah and again that sort of like adds a little credence to what i was saying is that it's, it almost is like a pixar movie in that sense pixar movies are really mm -hmm. good about being deep as far as you know it, it's not just what you see but there there's a deeper meaning behind a lot of what you're looking at uh, and Pixar's great with that kind of storytelling. It could easily translate well, but it can also easily be messed up. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes. It, it's easy for old wrestling fans to make fun of Dwayne Johnson because obviously, you know, if you smell what the rocks is cooking and all that fun stuff. But the man obviously has completely become sort of a media mogul or uh, maybe that's not the correct term, but he's become something of... Uh, of a huge businessman. I mean, he owns, uh, or he co-owns the XFL now. Uh, so he's going to be introducing his own football league soon. He's absolutely been involved in several uh, movie productions, both as an actor and as a director. The man clearly has an eye for talent in that sense. It, it's interesting to see how Dwayne Johnson has evolved from this wrestler who was making tons of misogynistic and, and homophobic jokes to th this incredible human being who is just has a drive that's insane. Just absolutely insane. We'll see how it goes. How about media personality? Would that work? I think that works. I think that works. Yeah. Media personality sounds good. Or definitely. Or entertainment personality, even. Something along those lines. Yeah, that works too. Yeah. Is there anything else? No, I mean, I can only hope that like they get it, not get it right, but rather they do it justice. Yeah, there you and go. And that they don't, that they don't dumb it down to the point where it looks like they took more shortcuts and they just wanted to like just okay let's just get to the point as quickly as possible so we could compact this and then just shove it out i don't want to see that happen to something that has clearly earned a lot of game of the year awards for sure i mean the game already had a lot of money put into it let's let's not screw it up all right well we are going to take a quick break uh when we come back we're going to talk about uh, speaking of wrestling some AEW video game action. And then last but most certainly not least, and it's going to be a doozy, we're going to talk about everything that was announced at the Dungeons & Dragons Direct. And oh boy, there's a lot. There is a lot. Uh, so we will be right back. 
Hey, if you folks like Dungeons and Dragons on April 25th at 8 p.m. Central Time, 9 p.m. Eastern, if you head on over to youtube.com slash mightybeard, uh, you may see fun folks like myself and a few others play a game of Dungeons and Dragons live on YouTube. Check it out. Subscribe to that channel. Mighty Beard is fantastic. He's a wonderful dude. He's got great content for both Minecraft and Dungeons and Dragons on his account. Uh, so head on over, subscribe, hit that bell notification to get notified when new videos come live, and watch me play some Dungeons and Dragons. Alright, and we are back. Uh, that was Rise of the Machines by Carl Casey of White Bat Audio. That's the second time that we featured Carl Casey's music on the show. Uh, it's His music is just incredible, so definitely check it out. I'm also, uh, slight spoiler for future episodes, I'm also working with some other artists to see if I can get permission to play their music, even though it's not royalty-free. So we might have some other music that we're going to be playing soon that I'm really excited about, actually. So fingers crossed that that works out. With that said, Roger. Yes. What are you listening to? Playing? Watching? Punching? Destroying? <laughs> manifesting? <laughs> Manifest everything. <laughs> uh, with the D&D live stream that has popped up recently, which we will get to, I've been uh, just getting more motivation to work on my own D&D campaigns after work because usually, as you know, the past few weeks have been rather hectic for me at work, so I haven't had a lot of motivation to get into the creative process as much as I would like to. But in terms of music that tends to help me with stuff like that, it's uh, a couple groups that I've recently been following. Infrasound and uh, Audio Machine on YouTube. They make fantastic tracks that I have become quite a fan of and it helps it helps me uh helps me write it helps me think so that's primarily what i have been listening to and uh watching <laughs> the golden girls <laughs> really <laughs> all right yeah, austin creed because, tell me what's going on here well i mean th this isn't the first time that i've actually uh watched the show it was a number of years ago i probably a decade ago wait how old am i uh no, probably <laughs> where is my mind no probably more like 12 13 years ago i was vacationing with my family in florida and i had uh, i had somehow a, a room to myself like a bedroom to myself which was really rare and i couldn't sleep one one night and so i flicked on the tv to see what was on and that's when I saw there was this show with Betty White. I'm like, oh, I don't know who Betty White is. And then uh, I saw it was Golden Girls. I ended up watching it for three straight hours until 3 a.m. And uh, I've been following the show since. And then just recently, my mother has been watching it just throughout the day. And whenever I am pet sitting, well, guess what I'm putting on? Some Golden Girls. It's a great show. It's so funny. <laughs> Listen, I will never say anything bad about the Golden Girls. It, it's not necessarily something that I would put on myself, but the show's an absolute classic. And it, it has much to do with the women that were involved in that show. 
And and from what I remember, the show is also very good at tackling issues that we're even seeing today. I, I remember one episode off the top of my head, there was uh, one of the main characters had a Confederate flag in her, her shop, and one of her workers is black and sees it and goes, you know, that that flag represents hatred for me. But to, to the main character, it represented uh, family, nostalgia, love. And, and so it was really hard for her to see why he would react in the way that he would. And, and so the, the, the episode was heavily featured on, like, talking about the conflicts of, of, of that, that situation and how nostalgia can sometimes cloud our vision when it comes to how certain things are perceived, especially something like a Confederate flag, which to some people may be a symbol of hope, love, and, and respect, but to others is a time where black people were slaves. <laughs> that's, that's a bad thing, obviously. Mm -hmm. So it was a very, very deep episode and something that was very re relevant even today. We're, we're still running into issues like that. So it's, it's a fantastic show, and I, you know, obviously much love and respect to everyone involved. It's just not something I would necessarily put on, but I respect it. I absolutely respect it. So then I can just go to my follow-up. What is it that you are listening to, watching? Oh, that's right. I get to or talk about playing. that stuff, too. Oh, snap. Um, yes. Well, Roger, you inspired me to buy Vampire Survivors. <gasps> I know. I know. And it's a game that I was sort of fighting. Like, I didn't I didn't want to buy it because it's like, oh, all the Twitch YouTubers and, and, and people are playing it. I don't, I, don't wanna, I don't feel the need to get myself into that. But I was watching you play it on stream, and I was like, you know what? That does look kind of fun. I think I want to dabble into it. So I, I played uh, my first few games on there, and it's fun. It's fun. There's definitely some points where I feel like the game is just brutally unfair, but I think it's also because I haven't bought all the upgrades yet. So obviously the game is more so about grinding to get yourself upgraded to the point where you can handle those unfair moments. And uh, I respect it. Uh, for three dollars, the game gives you a lot of content to play with. Like it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I give it respect for that. Uh, and as far as listening is concerned, uh, there's a a band that features the musicians from a a band that I listen to a lot called Cybreed. The musicians split off from the vocalist a long time ago, and they're sort of just releasing singles at the moment. They they haven't made an album, but it's called Obsidians. And they, they've been bringing in guest vocalists to sing on some of their tracks. And it's phenomenal. It's metal. So obviously it's got to be something that you're into. I, I absolutely love it. I think it's great. It's, it's deep. And obviously, like, these, these guys are very talented musicians. So the more music they can release, the better. And we got a chance to play Phasmophobia last night together. I thought it was fun. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty much it from me. All right. Excellent. Then we shall move on to our third topic for the day. AEW video game title possibly revealed by Tony Khan. I'm sure a lot of, if we have some wrestling fans in the audience, they'll definitely like this. When All Elite Wrestling was first formed, one of the first projects announced by the company was a video game adaptation. While fans are still waiting for a deep dive on what the AEW video game has to offer, its title has reportedly been revealed. The latest episode of AEW Dynamite took place in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and while the segment didn't air on TV, fan footage of the event shows President and CEO Tony Khan revealing the title of the AEW video game. It's looking like the AEW video game will officially be called AEW Fight Forever, 
a reference to a popular chant that the crowd does during high-quality wrestling matches that they don't want to see end. The reason why Tony Khan seemingly revealed the AEW video game title is because the Pittsburgh crowd was asked to help record audio for the game. The crowd was reportedly asked to perform various chants to be recorded and used in the game whenever it's released. As it stands, the AEW video game still does not have an official release date. However, reputable wrestling journalist Sean Ross Sapp has reported that the AEW video game release window could be as early as September of this year. Uh, I was actually going through the article again, and I happen to notice that uh, while little is known about the game so far, it was first revealed, quote, with a brief trailer that showcased the art style, and it happened to feature the likes of Chris Jericho, Hikaru Shida, and Kenny Omega. So we are potentially looking at uh, a, a potentially a, a good release, uh, maybe within the next... Uh, my guess, six to nine months, possibly. That would definitely line up with the uh, September uh, idea, at, at the very least. Obviously, one of the things that AEW did when they first formed is try to upset the culture of wrestling. I'm a huge wrestling fan, so uh, I, I can actually talk at length of this, so I'll try to rein myself in a little bit. We haven't had a val- like an actual competitor to WWE in quite some time. I think the last attempt was back when TNA tried to do the try to reignite the Monday Night Wars back in late 2000s and failed miserably, especially because they put all their eggs in the Hulk Hogan basket and Hulk Hogan even then was kind of showing his age and ignorance. And I, I like Hulk Hogan, but he's he's got some problems, man. <laughs> he's got some problems. But with that said, though, uh, AEW has been fantastic in doing pretty much everything right in the sense that they have grown as a company. They have people putting money into it. They have a, a TV deal with TNT, which wrestling on TNT hasn't existed since the WCW days. It, so that's also fantastic. I mean, it's just it has absolutely become the WCW that we we haven't had in a long time. So I'm, I'm very happy that AEW exists. I don't love a lot of their storylines. I think there's there's a lot of weaknesses there that they have where it would help for them to kind of, I guess, re- think out things better. But because of AEW's culture, I don't think that can ever happen. So real quick on that, WWE has creative writers whose sole purpose is to create storylines for wrestlers, whereas AEW uh, gives the wrestlers more freedom to play out their storylines the way they want to do it and, of course, be the characters that they want to be. So there's a lot more freedom there, and I think sometimes that freedom can be a double-edged sword. It, it could be great, and then there's times where it can also be kind of crappy. It, but it happens. You know, it, it's, it is what it is. With that said, though, an AEW video game was natural. It had to happen at some point. But yeah, no, I, I'm excited. I, I think it'll be great. It, it, it won't be nearly as bad as the TNA video game was, uh, which was absolutely atrocious. It was terrible. So they they have a pretty... A pretty low bar they have to step over. <laughs> it's, uh, it can't be that bad. Yeah, just for goals, uh, I'm looking at the roster of who they could potentially have in there, and I'm just like, you know, they have a pretty healthy number of, you know, for for the roster. I think they could get everybody in there. What a roster to have for a video game, right? <laughs> like, it's gonna be phenomenal to have a choice to play through a lot of like simulated matches or even like just doing all the different types of matches with guys like a cm punk you could have like cm punk versus a brian cage if you want to see that it's gonna be cool yeah and while i don't watch 
wrestling probably as much as uh, as you do i will uh, keep my ear to the ground to see how the development goes for AEW's first video game word and to uh, use a wrestling term we are going to go on to the main events oh snap literally everything announced at the dungeons and dragons direct <laughs> so just recently this week they had their first stream that debuted a lot of information coming to us for probably the next couple years for all things D&D. Witches of the Coast had just released their first ever D&D Direct, filling it with information on what fans of the popular tabletop RPG can expect on the horizon. Not only was there discussion about the tabletop game itself, but also of other tabletop games, video games, and new miniatures and tokens for players who enjoy playing with such tools. All of these announcements come hot off the heels of the purchase of D&D Beyond, as well as the successful book launches, such as the Wild Beyond the Witchlight and Fisben's Treasury of Dragons. First and foremost, Ajit George and Wes Schneider appeared to speak about the next adventure book releasing for D&D 5e, Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. After its reveal last month, the co-writers are back to talk about everything that the anthology has to offer. This book offers up a series of adventures, levels 1-14, through 14, all written by authors of color who each share part of their own cultural history or experiences through these adventures. As a series of one-shots or a combined adventure, DMs can drop the Radiant Citadel into any pre-written campaign where you'll be able to explore all kinds of foreign realms. In this presentation, the level 5 adventure, Wages of Vide, I believe that's how it was pronounced, level 14 adventure, Orchids of the Invisible Mountain, and the level 4 Fiend of Hollow Mine were all highlighted. This was a little interesting to me, specifically that this is actually something that I have been personally working on in terms of my own campaigns. Human beings are incredibly diverse, culturally speaking, and that got me to thinking, if I ever were to, say, explore D&D as a potential, uh, as a potential thing that I could do for a stream, there is going to be the inevitability where people are going to be like, why don't you have this particular type of person or culture or whatever? And I've actually been doing a lot of studying and a lot of reading in terms of human cultures in general. So while obviously you can't have literally every type of person under the sun in a campaign by itself, much less say even a, a movie, the way that I'm approaching it is whenever I have humans be available for a campaign, which pretty much is going to be all of them, I'm going to switch things up and have different cultures be in certain worlds. And from that, there are going to be unique mythologies, unique cultural takes, such as food, architecture, inventions, dialects. And I think that them bringing this to the table, officially speaking, on their end, uh, that could add something... Almost uh, literally. I'm sorry? You said bring it to the table. I said almost literally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tabletop. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I had to. I had, it, was, it was so on the nose, I just had to. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you were doing so good, too. I ruined it. I'm sorry. You couldn't resist the you couldn't resist the the, the oh, pun, could I, you? I'm a dad joke <laughs> master, baby. I just shoot them out like crazy. Uh, well, but yeah. Um, 
in this case, uh, it, it is interesting that they're going to have these other human cultures be brought into into the fray for this. And I do like that it is essentially another book where it's like, you could just take one of these adventures and plop it in the middle of your campaign, and your players won't be none the wiser. I have Ghost of Saltmarsh, and uh, I have another book here somewhere that uh, they do the same exact thing. You could just pick an adventure and plop it in, and you're good to go. And you can make it as organically uh, attached to what you have or, or not. It's entirely up to you. Well, what you described is modules, right? I mean, that's essentially mm-hmm. how all those books are supposed to be used is that you can either take some of that stuff piecemeal and add it into your own campaign or you can run it entirely as a whole. Obviously, when you run it entirely as a whole, you run into issues where if somebody has pre-existing knowledge, they have to make sure that they kind of rein in metagaming a little bit. And, you know, that's always a concern. But I've always loved the concept of taking modules and placing it into your games so that way it keeps your players guessing. I was also going to make another joke, too. Uh, the level 5 adventure, Wages of the Day. Thank you, Roger. It's it's not Vide, it's Day. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I think you actually pronounced it right. But no, it's great. I, I think, obviously, more content, more stuff to play. Should be awesome. So, on to the next point. A blast from the past for some comes in the form of uh, an announcement of the Spelljammer campaign setting. Last year, Wizards of the Coast announced their excitement at the roadmap for D&D going forward and how they were looking to introduce some returning settings. The Spelljammer setting is one first introduced in the second edition of Advanced D&D and focuses on adventures that a party might have exploring a fantasy version of space, often leaning slightly more in comedic directions. This campaign will come with three different books creating the basis of Spelljammer knowledge. The Astral Adventurer's Guide, Light of, I'm probably going to botch this, uh, Zarixis, and Boo's Astral Menagerie. This collection not only includes the adventure book, but also a parallel to the Player's Guide and Monster Manual of the base D&D setting. I know a lot of people love Spelljammer and that mix between potential sci-fi with uh, traditional D&D 5e, uh, you know, Forgotten Realms stuff. And even the trailer had its mix of uh, kind of like a sea shanty going on, but more so related to, you know, going to other planets and stuff. And then also the comedy where you see the, uh, uh, was was he an elf or half elf potentially? Like his family was, you know, waiting to, you know, to come, come through. And I guess that was like his pet hamster or something. And mm-hmm. then uh, they get a treasure map and he's like, Sorry, can't can't visit. We got an adventure, and then they literally, like, <laughs> they literally just reverse reverse cores, and the and the hamster starts crying. It's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> what's what's your impression of the uh, Spelljammer setting? I I always love sci fi type stuff. I mean, I I grew up as a Trekkie, so you know it's more more sci-fi slash comedy slash D 5e that works for me man i'm looking forward to this looks great this is like one of the one of the two announcements that really caught my eye and uh as as a D player i was like yes i want a game in this so bad yeah and they actually have a uh, an oozkin type race that you can play as now finally a place to officially play an Oozkin. I know folks have been waiting for that for so long. I know I have. I tried to get into a game <laughs> as an Oozkin, and they were like, no, no homebrew races. I'm like, oh. 
<laughs> but I want to be a wiggly jelly dude. <laughs> and now you can be a wiggly jelly dude. Yay! <laughs> so for new players looking for a fresh way to get into Dungeons and Dragons, there's a new starter set. Uh, it's called Dragons of Stormwreck Isle. Included in this bundle, aspiring new DMs will find a condensed rule set, blank and pre-made character sheets for two to six players, a set of dice, and a level one to five adventure book. Much like the previous starter kit and essentials kit, this is a Dungeons and Dragons campaign in a box that players can immediately get started with. More avenues of bringing people in, uh, especially people who have heard about D&D, but they're not entirely sure how it works, or if they have like the kind of confidence to go into it, especially if they're not sure about how the rules are, if they're not confident in roleplay, I think this could definitely be just another great tool to bring folks in and you know just kind of give them little baby steps give them a little a little experience as to how it works and for obviously experienced dms who are looking to bring their friends into the hobby once again i mean this is just going to be another great tool for them yeah my aunt actually started getting into DD uh roughly before the pandemic and we did buy the initial starter set she didn't really like the story of the initial starter set that much. I think that what was that caves of uh, Phil- I can't remember the, the exact pronunciation of that. Philander or something like that. Yeah, um, she wasn't too big on it, so I ended up actually doing a a, a custom campaign for her just so that she can get like a a real D and D experience, and it was great because my wife was involved. My sister also played in that game, uh, so she got a chance to be with the girls. Right. I, I love the idea of starter sets. I really do think that they need to have more starter sets that sort of have like a diverse kind of storytelling. Like it doesn't always need to be like the simple dungeon diving type aspect. There should be starter sets for all different facets of storytelling for D&D. So the more starter sets, the better. This is fantastic stuff. Agreed. Another one of the, well, arguably one of the biggest announcements for the stream is the tease of the Dragonlance setting finally being visited as part of D&D 5th yeah. edition. This campaign setting first appeared in 1982 and might also be better known nowadays for the series of novels that took place in the setting. Aside from a teaser trailer, very little has been revealed about Dragonlance except for the name of the first adventure book, Dragonlance, Shadow of the Dragon Queen and that it's releasing in late 2022. Unfortunately, these teases don't even come with book art. Another one that caught my eye, because I remember reading an article, I forget when I read this, but that there was something about the licensing for Dragonlance, that 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 was like the reason why this particular setting has not been explored thoroughly in 5th edition quite yet. Uh, it has, I, I don't know, it has something to do with, I guess, the author of the novels compared to initially the release that they had for the game. But when they said Dragonlance, I was like, what? But yeah, I mean, you had a pretty positive reaction after I said that, so I take it you like Dragonlance? <laughs> Dragonlance was actually my first introduction into D&D as a whole. My original actual introduction into D&D was back in the late 80s, believe it or not. Uh, with an NES game, of all things, uh, uh, Heroes of the Lance. It, it was one of my favorite games to play, despite not understanding half of the stuff that was going on. And then, of course, I, as I got older, I, I began to understand the game a lot more. But when I started getting into, like, D&D, I think it was Advanced D&D 2nd Edition, if I remember correctly, I was in a Dragonlance campaign setting, and it was really, like, my first major introduction into D&D. And I, I've always been a huge fan of the of the setting, 
of the characters and everything that comes with it. So I'm very excited to see a, a, an official Dragonlance adventure in a 5e environment. Yeah, I'm going to see what the lore and unique creatures look like to this. Because at least the way that I'm trying to approach my own D&D games or the idea of the D&D multiverse is trying to make things as unique as possible and not repeat ideas. Sure. So if Dragonlance has unique gods, unique monsters, uh, unique uh, settings, kind of like you know how Eberron is vastly different from everything else, I'm all for it. That just gives me more stuff to work with. For sure. Next up. WizKids showed off a new D&D Tactical Skirmish Miniatures game, Onslaught. Uh, This trailer shows off characters from the Harpers and the Zentarum factions, as well as a number of monsters including trolls, gnolls, and a mighty dragon. Pre-orders for Dungeons & Dragons Onslaught are now available. Uh, No release date has been listed quite yet, though. You know, one of the things that I always thought that Games Workshop does better than Wizards of the Coast is uh, creating board games that fit Warhammer's lore and series b- better. Silver Tower is one of the ones that can come to mind where, uh, you know, it's a sort of a generating dungeon. The tiles are set purely uh, out of randomness, and then it, it creates this long-standing campaign that you can play through through a board game, basically. Games Workshop are fantastic at this. They do this very well. So it'll be good to see something like this in in Dungeons and Dragons and its settings, uh, because I think that there's so much lore and stuff that they could do to make board games like this work. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll look great. So accompanying the tease of the Dragonlance adventure book and the return to Kryn is the accompaniment of the Dragonlance Warriors of Kryn battle game. Didn't you just mention that? Aside from the late 2022 release window, nothing further was divulged about the upcoming tabletop game. Yep, the the game I was talking about was an NES game, but this, again, is more Dragonlance. Give me more Dragonlance, yay. Okay, cool. I mean, yeah. (laughs) More games, and at least for Scott, you know, more Dragonlance, yes. Yes. Speaking of other games, fans of the popular MMO Neverwinter can also be excited about dragon-related content coming to their game with the Dragonlance update released later this year. The trailer shows off a series of dragons describing their various motivations and reasons to be raging. Players will be able to take on the mantle of Dragonslayer when the expansion releases in June 2022, so that is really soon. So, more Dragonlance, Scott. Yay! Although I haven't really touched Neverwinter in a long time. I really... I'm gonna have to dive back into that at some point. Have you ever played Neverwinter? No, I have heard of it, but I think I also know that it's like... Uh, it was released back in like 2013, 2014, am I right? Yeah, it, it's an older free-to-play MMO that uh, it's been around for a long time. Neverwinter is a lot of fun. The only I think the only issue that I had with it was just it came out at a time where there was just a large regurgitation of all these other free to play MMOs that came out. So it was it was hard to keep up specifically with one at that time because there was just so many games out there. But you know what? This might be a good excuse to get back into Neverwinter and play it again. Oh well, yeah, it's Dragonlance, and you love Dragonlance. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of just like want to want to hear you go go off and geek out about Dragonlance and see like how how deep this rabbit hole goes. 
The problem is, is that I'm so far removed from a lot of the content that I think a lot of the things that I would say about Dragonlance would probably be horribly inaccurate. Because I haven't really played anything Dragonlance related since, like, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, It's just that the setting is so cool. And there's a lot of nostalgia there, I think, for me. And and that's one of the main reasons why, like, I'm, I'm so excited to see it come back. Uh, because then it, it's something that I can I can more so keep close to the heart and play naturally and more accurately. Whereas at the time, I was a dumb teenager being dumb about dumb things. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> it'll be good to actually explore the setting with a lot more depth than I, than I had previously. Nice. Uh, and finally... Uh, producers for the upcoming Dungeons & Dragons movie appeared briefly to announce their movie's full title, Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. While no footage was shown of the movie, they did announce that filming had wrapped up and that the movie will be released on the 3rd of March, 2023. So yeah, just really, just really fast, uh, just like, you know, little fast announcement, Honor Among Thieves. And we could only guess as to what that might mean for what is going on in the movie itself. Yeah, obviously, if they've already finished filming, they that means they had the script, they got the actors, everything looks good. I don't remember if there was ever a list of actors that came out for that. It's Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh, it's always Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> no, that's not official. I'm just making a joke. Damn it, Dwayne! <laughs> Damn it, Dwayne! Happened again. Wasn't there a Dungeons and Dragons movie that came out like in the in the nineties or the eighties? Shh, we don't talk about that. Oh, okay, sorry. Well, I'll stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Names include uh, Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, uh, Justice Smith, uh, Reggie Regi- Jean Page, Hugh Grant, Sophia Lillis. Jason Wan, those are names that sound familiar. Daisy, mm-hmm. Daisy Mayhead. That's a pretty good list of actors right there. Actors and actresses. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. I'm stoked. Yeah, we uh, we'll see what they uh, what they come up with, and hopefully, hopefully, it will uh, be a lot better than that which we shall not remember. <laughs> Well, obviously, the Dungeons and Dragons direct event did everything that we wanted it to be. Uh, it was a ton of great news. They obviously announced the uh, the acquisition of D and D Beyond on there as well. Uh, we didn't put that in the doc because we already briefly talked about that last week, I believe. Yeah. But again, I mean, it's there's a lot of really cool things happening in the uh, in the tabletop space, and I'm looking forward to it. I really am. I mean, there's just there's so much to be excited about. I get to finally play an ooze. <laughs> and revisit Dragonlance. Yeah. As an ooze. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, if you want. <laughs> well, that would depend on the DM, right? I mean, if they're going to let you put a Spelljammer's character in Dragonlance settings. I mean, that's, that's, that's the beauty of being a DM. You could sort of always kind of twist and mold your world uh, how you want. I, you know, I do hope that I uh, I get a chance to play in a Spelljammers game, though, just because I, I think it sounds just pretty fun. It, that It's obviously one of those things where, like, again, it really depends on the DM and, and how good the DM is at explaining that setting and, and crafting stories and, and, and interesting uh, things that happen during that, that campaign. 
but yeah, Spelljammers looks great. Dragonlance again, yeah, obviously looks great. Everything looked great. I, I I thought this was a really good event. I agree. I think like one of my predictions came true was that they would introduce at least one or two new books, but and, and mention something about the movie. But uh, I could not have expected that they would have like a couple new board game tie-ins and all these just all these additional things, especially with Dragonlance that just came out of left field. No talk about a, a 5.5 or a 6 edition. Nope. Like a lot of people thought. This nope. was all still within the... And, and to be honest, that's okay. I mean, the the 5th edition has, has been golden for Wizards of the Coast. So I don't really see a need to do anything beyond a 5th edition at this point just yet. Yeah, I don't either. Obviously, with, like, with Spelljammers, they will have their own books that you would need to buy. So there there is some some tweaks to the the actual normal D&D setting but you know that's okay I mean especially I know they're working on a new edition so if they need more time with that that's fine 5e is is alive and well and it's doing very well so it makes sense well absolutely with with that said is there anything else or or shall we wrap up the show I believe we're gonna wrap it up because that was uh, that was a lot (laughs) it's a beefy episode eh we had a beefy episode. All right. Well, if you've made it to the end, thank you very much for listening to all of it. Uh, you can find our website over at www.gatcast.com. You can find my YouTube channel at youtube.survipergaming.com. Find Roger's Twitch over at twitch.tv slash rangercommander. And last, but most certainly not least, you can join us on Discord at discord.gatcast.com and join in on the conversations over there. And with that said, I have been Scott of Survivor Gaming. And this is Roger, a.k.a. Ranger Commander. We are out of here. Woo, I'm tired. Same. Everybody, (laughs) you have yourselves a good weekend. Bye-bye.